So we're closing in on Christmas. It's less than two weeks to go. And the church calls events like this a feast. The feast of Christmas. The feast of Easter. It's a celebration. This Christmas is the celebration of Christ's arrival in the world of the, in the flesh. God becoming a human to redeem humanity from our darkness and our sin. So we celebrate Christ's incarnation with the most basic elements of our humanity. Worship, fellowship, food, drink, and joy. I think back to Jesus himself, feasting with tax collectors and sinners. This is what we do when we celebrate Christ's incarnation. Saints and sinners, we feast together. Now, this is an unusual year for Christmas. It's complicated. And I want to ask you to do something. I want you to think of the people who might not have others to celebrate with this year. Every year there are people who fall into this category. But this year, there are many of us who, who, who are normally able to get together with family. And, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves in this place of loneliness and isolation. So think of people that might be in that place. And whether you need to plan a, a dinner outside, whatever it looks like, will you invite people? Or will you connect them with people who can invite them? Now, if you are one of those people who are you finding, you're finding yourself in that place of loneliness and isolation, be bold. Invite yourself. You might even ask people what they're having for dinner first. You might ask several people and see what your best option is. But look, no, don't find yourself lonely in this season of celebration. It, we are longing, and even when Christmas comes this year, we're still going to be longing. This is part of building up these muscles of waiting, is that we're, we are going to be waiting until Christ does come once again. But still, uh, don't leave yourself in that loneliness uh, when Christmas comes this year. Now, in our church, we haven't started singing the Christmas carols yet, and that's not because we're Scrooges. We save them up, and once we start singing them, we're going to sing them loud and strong for two weeks together. Now, you know, we don't search, go search your homes and your car to see if you're listening to Christmas music on your own. That, if you're doing it, it's fine, okay? Uh, Jenny Cash, we had a parish council retreat Friday night and uh, then yesterday morning, and Jenny Cash is driving her convertible and blaring Christmas music, just flaunting it for everyone else, and it's okay. But we use this time of year in our church to talk about waiting. Waiting is an integral part of our lives. It's an integral part of the life of faith. The most meaningful, meaningful parts of our lives involve waiting. Uh, the arrival of a child, a, a joyful kind of waiting and anticipation. Restoration of broken relationships. Waiting to grow up and to find meaningful, satisfying work. Or... Other kinds of waiting, waiting in sickness, the waiting of death. But the nature of life in our culture, the fast pace, the immediate availability of so many of the things that we want from day to day, the sense that if we want to be at all useful, we must be productive so that as we get older, we feel less and less meaningful. All of this together makes us less prepared 
for the waiting that comes with life. Less comfortable when waiting arrives. Waiting has become more and more associated in our culture today with anxiety and restlessness. This morning, by drawing on the life of David, I want to show you gifts that God seeks to give us in the midst of waiting. And the first one of these is the gift of character. Character, from a Christian perspective, is not just moral behavior. It's not just doing good things. Christian character is actually a posture toward life, toward each other, toward God, toward the world. It's a posture of receiving rather than seizing. And I'm going to use these words over and over. A posture of receiving rather than seizing. No one likes to be compared with animals, I know, but this picture helps, so stick with me. Many of you know our, our family has dogs. Uh, we, we try to train dogs. My dad trains dogs. And when you go to give a dog food, the natural, natural reaction of a dog is to jump at you, isn't it? To snatch the food out of your hand. When uh, our, our kids, um, the dogs follow them around when they have food because they're at just the right level to where if the kid lets down their guard for a second, the dog can snatch the food out of their hand. It's amazing, though, when you train a, a dog, an animal, to sit and wait on food. Their whole posture changes. They're expectant, but they're not snatching it. And by nature, most of us as human beings seize the things that we want. We try to snatch them. And God uses seasons of waiting to teach us how to have a posture of receiving the things that he wishes to give us rather than seizing the things that he's not giving, or at least not yet. David was anointed king when he was young. But he's immediately thrust into years of waiting before he actually becomes king. As the years go by, his anointing becomes more and more obvious to those around him, including King Saul. <laughs> Many people know that Saul, the current king, is on his way out while David is on his way in. But in the course of waiting, David has at least two opportunities to use his power and his influence to seize the kingship. And many people would have been happy if he did. So in fact, David's men tell him on two occasions, the Lord is giving your enemy into your hand. Won't you take him out? Seize the kingship? And a lot of us would have said the same thing. Saul was a murderous lunatic. What did David have to lose? Now, one of these occasions, David cuts off a piece of Saul's clothing. It's this slight threat, a flaunting of the opportunity. And we're told that in, in that very moment, David's heart struck him because Saul was the Lord's anointed. Now, the other occasion, uh, David's men pressure him and David says, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now, today's world would probably look on David's actions and say, he just didn't have the nerve. He was too sensitive. But here's what was really happening in David's waiting. He was developing character. He was learning the posture of receiving what God gives rather than seizing what God has not given. Not yet, at least. 
Now, there's one more story where this is blatantly obvious. That David, on this occasion, asked a wealthy man named Nabal. Nabal is a name that happens to mean fool. And Nabal lives into this name. He, David asks him if he'll provide food for his men. They're living on the run. David and his men have been voluntarily protecting Nabal's flocks and his shepherds. And Nabal has the food to spare, and David sees that it's well earned. They've done the work to earn this food. And Nabal still says, absolutely not, David. Who do you think you are? It doesn't sit well with David. He decides to express his feelings to Nabal in an unambiguous way by killing him. Nabal's beautiful and wise wife hears about this. And so she goes to David with loads of food and drink. And she tells David, David, the kingdom is certainly yours because you're fighting the Lord's battles. Forgive this fool so that you might enter your kingship without the guilt of bloodshed. And here's the key line in her words. That you will not have worked salvation with your own hand. David tells Abigail, blessed be God for sending you. Blessed be your discretion. You kept me from working salvation with my own hand. Receiving what God gives rather than seizing what God has not given. Or at least not yet. David's job, even when he becomes king, is, going to, is not going to be to work salvation for himself. The most basic part of being a Christian, of following Jesus Christ, is receiving. Receiving God's grace into your life. Receiving the things you cannot earn, that you cannot seize or snatch away. Forgiveness. Love. But these aren't the only things for which we are dependent on God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, James says. It has to be received from God. What do you ha have that you did not receive, Paul says to the Corinthians, when they're boasting about all that they have? Everything, the love, the grace, and the material things of life, all of them are gifts. Christian character is a posture of receiving the things that God gives rather than seizing what he hasn't. And what makes this kind of character so difficult, perhaps more difficult than a character that's based on moral behavior, is that on some level, you have to stop fighting. You have to stop believing that it's on you and that you can do it. We have to embrace a life of complete dependence, trusting God at every stage of our lives that he is the only one who can give us what we need, what we're waiting for. None of this is to advocate passivity in life, but it is to say that everything we do grows out of a posture of receiving what God gives. And the more that we realize God is the one who provides everything that we need for life, the more that we're able to actually be active and engage in God's kingdom. This is another way of saying what Jesus says in John chapter 15. Without me, 
you can do nothing. That's not to say that you can't go on and appear as if you're living a meaningful life. It's to say that if you really want to produce fruit in your life that is going to last, then you have to be connected to God. And you have to receive the things that he's giving. Giving. It's another way of saying what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is a gift that God gives us in waiting. Character. The ability to receive what he gives rather than seizing what he hasn't. Now here is one more gift God gives us in seasons of waiting. Friendship. The deepest friendships in life develop because of a vision for life that's larger than any of the people in the friendship. So the most shallow and short-lived friendships are those that revolve only around the people in the friendship. The friendship is basically about voicing our complaints to each other. David and Jonathan become friends because Jonathan discerned God in David. David would likely never have endured the arduous waiting in his life without Jonathan. And somehow all the evil that David experiences in his life does not diminish him. Because bound in the covenant of friendship with Jonathan, David is protected. And none of Saul's evil gets inside of David. For us, the most difficult battles in our lives are not external. They're internal. And having the strength, the will, to keep going through difficulty, to stay on a path, to fight the good fight of faith. Friendship, even though it may not sound super spiritual, is a sacrament in our lives. It's a presence of Christ to help us fight the good fight. Now, our gospel passage this morning was from the gospel of John. And John the Baptist says in that passage of Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. And Jonathan is like John the Baptist. Notice what he does. Even though he's the rightful heir to the throne because he's the son of the king, he accepts that he must decrease and that David must increase. He takes off his armor And he gives it to David because he discerns God in David. And in doing this, Jonathan shows us what it means to be friends to each other. Listen to these words from Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest but also to the interest of others. Christian friendship is about something that is larger than just us. It's about God. It's about fighting the good fight of faith. And what's so beautiful about the Christian faith is that Christ has chosen to become this friend to us. First, he initiates friendship. Christ has invited us into it. We have little to nothing to offer him as friends. To Jesus. But the Jesus Storybook Bible, our church is using this um, resource during Advent. It's so helpful here. A repeated phrase in the Jesus Storybook Bible referring to humans is this 
They were lovely because he loved them. They were lovely because he loved them. And when we're in friendship with Jesus, listening to him and being listened to by him, we become more and more lovely. We do have something to give in the friendship. So we, we all want good friendships in our lives. This is a gift that God wishes to give us. And we need them. The best friends are those who have learned to be friends of Christ. Who've received his invitation to friendship. Who sit with him and carry the friendship with Christ into all their other relationships. I hope that Church of the Lamb will be a place full of these kinds of friendships. Full of people who have learned to be friends of Christ. And they bring that to bear in relationship with each other. These are the gifts that God seeks to give us in life seasons of waiting. Character. The ability to receive the things that God wishes to give us instead of seizing the things that he hasn't. And also, the sustaining and sacramental gift of friendship. The presence of Christ alongside us to sustain us and enrich our lives in the faith. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.